Hey there, friends. This is Eddie, host of The New Activist. This is a re-released show. It originally aired on October 12th, 2016. Feels like forever ago. This is a conversation between Nikki Toyamasito and Leroy Barber. And to say that this is a timely conversation for us to listen to again would certainly be an understatement. I hope you enjoy the show. I wanted to remind you that The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission very quickly. Would you, and you can probably finish this by the time the intro music is done, but would you go to newactivist.is forward slash IJM, newactivistis, IJM, and fill out the form that you see there. It is a great way to support the show. Let us know that you are listening, but more than that, much infinitely more than that, it is a way that you can take 10 seconds of your life to end slavery. Seriously, newactivist.is forward slash IJM. Enjoy this conversation with Leroy Barber and Nikki Toyamasito. This is the new activist. This is indeed The New Activist, episode 005 with Leroy Barber. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a privilege to be with you today. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for being a part of this conversation. This is just so much fun. Today, we do get to hear from the Reverend Leroy Barber. He has dedicated more than 25 years to eradicating poverty, confronting homelessness, restoring local neighborhoods, and healing racism. He is currently the co-founder and director of The Voices Project, and he is also the director of Hope Mob. It's actually at Hope Mob. Leroy is going to be in conversation with Nikki Toyamasito, who is joining us today to kind of set the scene. Nikki, it's good to hear your voice. It's great to be with you, Eddie. Oh, it's good to be with you, friend. So, you know, I was thinking about this because a lot of people ask how guests get on the show. And um, I think they think that maybe we're like some sort of like arbiter of what is and isn't an activist. And the truth of the matter is, is I just feel like we're listeners. So when a story comes up or an interesting person crosses our radar, we're like, oh, we should tell that story. To that end, um, such was the case with Leroy Barber. I did not know Leroy, but uh, but since the beginning of the show, you were saying like, oh, this is a story we need to hear. This is a guy that we need to talk to. How did you get to know Leroy? We ha- Yeah, I was thinking as soon as we just kind of kicked around the concept of the new activist, I was like, we have to have Leroy on the show because he's the real deal. He's a guy who has um, been in the neighborhood, lived in the neighborhood um, in Philly, in Atlanta, and in Portland. Um, this is a guy who like walks the walk and at the same time has been like a really significant voice in kind of the national conversation around justice issues. So I just don't know how a lot of people do that kind of the, the being a good neighbor on a day-to-day basis as well as um, participating in kind of some of the things that are going on nationally or globally, but he's, uh, he is one of those kinds of folks. He just has a great perspective and he's a, he's a good friend. Uh, I'm glad you brought his story to our attention. And just as a, a quick programming note, if 
you all who are listening are like just ringing and with this great story, two things. One, contact us. We love hearing about people's stories and we would love to be able to try to share that and maybe make it onto the podcast, but also tell each other and be talking about it because podcast or no podcast, I would have gotten to hear this story from Nikki. And um, I am quite sure that what we're about to hear is going to be substantial for us. Nikki, thank you. I appreciate it. I can't wait to hear this conversation. Absolutely. All right. Here is Nikki Toyamasito in conversation with Leroy Barber. Leroy, um, I've known you in a lot of different environments, a lot of different spaces. Do you consider yourself an activist? Um, Yeah, I do. I I didn't start off considering myself that, but now I do. Yeah. Um, Kind of a transition to, to an activist. So what would you say that you were before? I would say I started off as what I thought was uh, evangelist, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, coming out of my, my Baptist church roots, taking the gospel, you know. And yeah. uh, and I think that quickly turned to uh, uh, what, what I call kind of uh, ministry person, mercy ministries, kind of all those kind of names that people use for kind of helping or serving, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it kind of transitions towards, well, we need to help more. Um, and then, uh, and then I learned that I, I'm not really, uh, the person to always be helping. I'm learning as well. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it transitioned to this mutuality, um, kind of being out in homeless ministry for a long time. Uh, and then I think it moved towards activism as I began to uh, look at the systematic, you know, injustice. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that guides you to an activist posture, I think. So I kind of went from evangelist to activist uh, with these other steps in between. <laughs> so. so you've started a school. You've headed up a mission year, which is sort of like an incarnational being a good neighbor in the community ministry. And then I see you doing teaching and speaking in lots of different places. You've been a part of both church plants and preaching at established churches. And am I missing any like big chunks? Yeah. A lot of people don't know I'm involved. I'm on the board of, of the Evangelical Environmental Network, which okay. I, people don't know, but um, there's there's a there's a huge injustice within the environments that marginalized people have to live within, you know, and it has to do with where they're forced to live and what things they're forced to live around, um, and that contribute to their environment. So, uh, things like highways being put in there, you know, breaking up their communities, um, living near at, at or close to near trash dumps, uh, living at or close to near um, things that, you know, um, tow lots and uh, all these kind of environmental issues. Lead poisoning right, right. within uh-huh. communities of color is higher, which leads to brain damage in children. Uh, smog, because living downtown and so many people driving yeah. downtown more. So, yeah, so pe- I, people don't know that I'm involved heavily and have a big interest in how, how we treat the environment because it's, it really affects poor people disproportionately, the, the, the negative effects. Of wow. It. 
So your entree into in environmental issues is actually caring for marginalized peoples. Yeah. And absolutely. see how that is actually an issue for that community. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've used the phrase marginalized peoples a couple of times. Tell me what that means to you. Um, it, 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 yeah, it, it fits a little bit with what I feel like drew me to my this book I just wrote, is that people who sit on the outside of something, right? And uh, if you're... Uh, if you're a single mom and you are trying to raise your kids in an urban environment and you can't navigate the school system because you you work 12 hours a day and mm-hmm. uh, if you're if you're if you're a poor white person and you can't navigate the system because of some of the same things or uh, the stigmas that come along with that that there's if you're if you're Palestinian, you know, and mm-hmm. you, uh, you're trying to, you're, you're really just trying to live your life. You're not involved in, uh, all, all of this war and all these kind of things. You're really trying to raise your kids, but people see you a certain way and put you out outside of the norm. Um, we're, society is full of those kinds of people, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and usually, uh, those kinds of people don't have voice, you know, and, and a lot of that comes from my own background of, of, of growing up kind of in that space, uh, and, and working to develop, to develop voice in that space has been pretty, a pretty hard trajectory professionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, uh, I have, a, yeah, I use that term because I want, I want to, or want to recognize the people who aren't sitting in the center. So you don't have the education or you don't have the right address or the right family or you didn't go to the right school or, or you know, you, 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 any of those things puts people out of the margins. Yeah, I see. Those things that kind of define this is what the center is. Yeah. And then if you're outside that circle, you're on the margins. Right. Tell me a bit about your own journey. You said that that was part of what kind of gives you a renewed compassion and perhaps a window to folks who are on the margin, yeah. uh, on the margins. Yeah. So, I mean, my mom uh, raised four boys alone. And so Mercy. Wow. She, she, she worked really, really hard, yeah. you know, and my mom didn't have a lot of time to go and visit my teachers and to follow up on my homework and all these kind of things. And so um, so she was kind of seen as in a certain, in a certain light of somebody we have to help all the time, you know? Mm. Uh, and I felt that as, as, as a teenager. You noticed that as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I noticed how my mom was kind of put out in, in certain ways, um, outside of the circles. Uh-huh. Um, and then feeling that, uh, you know, I was not a great student growing up by any <laughs> And so, um, so coming, kind of getting involved in, uh, in leadership, even within the evangelical world, as I kind of got to know that a little bit, you know, I wasn't the exceptional student, you know, I wasn't the person that you would come to town and go, yeah, that dude is super smart. We want to choose him, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, just understanding what it what it means not to be, not to be the one chosen all the time. Wow. Yeah, I think wow. that's 
what it marks you. I, I wasn't the guy chosen. Wow. Uh, and uh, and the path forward out of that was my leadership ability and uh, and working hard. Quite frankly, like, yeah. Like I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be be chosen, but I will work. I will work hard no matter what that. What wow. That so. Well, this is about the halfway point in the interview, and I just want to interrupt for a moment to let you know that this podcast is presented actually by International Justice Mission. IJM is working to end slavery in our lifetime and won't stop until all are free. IJM also is hiring. We are looking for folks that are technology experts and system analysts and software developers, and really we're looking for all kinds of people to come and do this work with us. You can learn about all of those careers at ijm.org forward slash careers. Now we're going to return to our conversation with Nikki and Leroy. Actually, there was a really loud bump during her uh, question, Nikki's question. She assured me she is fine. Uh, But I'm actually just gonna tell you that what she asked was, Leroy, can you tell me about Hope Mob and Voices? Yeah, so a lot of my work uh, in the last, you know, seven years since Donna and I started Voices um, has and, been looking... And say a little bit more about what's Voices. Okay. Yeah, so Voices, the Voices Project is uh, a, a organization Donna and I started that so gathers, supports, uh, encourages, uh, helps network leaders of color around, uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had we bring together a couple times a year, um, mostly African American, but we work with with all leaders of color mm-hmm. um, to help in the space for leaders of color who are working in majority culture. Right, mm-hmm. so they're working in a nonprofit world where they're one of very few few leaders. They're um, you know they're they're an author and they don't have many peers of color. They're um, they're 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 helping in a church plant organization that doesn't have many leaders of color. We we seem to be attracting a lot of leaders like that, um, as well as leaders who work in different sectors of society as people of faith and feel like they're alone. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of actors and musicians, uh, artists who wow. are part of voices because they feel like, hey, I don't know how my faith connects to what I love to do. And I want to be in conversation with other leaders. And so, yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of been this, this group of leaders like that. And we we uh, we bring them together for some retreats, um, you know, a few times a year. If people want to plug into retreats uh, where we do spiritual formation, we do some strategy about community, um, and really just kind of have times of of lament for them, depending on what's happening around them. Uh, so so that kind of support network, really, for for leaders of color is what Voices is is doing. Where where did the vision for that or kind of the sensitivity to the need to support leaders of color, particularly, you know, in the way that you've kind of designed and structured Hope Mob to do? Where does that come from? Yeah, that came out of work uh, that we did around our last book, Red, Brown, Yellow, Black and White, uh-huh. where we examined um, funding sources and streams for 
for people of color involved in nonprofits and mission work. Okay. And we found out an astounding number. So 97% of all money given in the U.S. goes to organizations led by white folks. Wow. That's an astounding number. 97%. 97%. Wow. So organizations led by people of color only get 3% of what's given every year in the yeah. U.S. Wow. Which is, which is, I mean, it answers so many questions around, well, yeah, why is this organization thriving and this one struggling along? Why is this leader, you know, at this particular meeting in this city and this leader can't make it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it answers all kinds of questions, but it also brings up, um, a challenge to figure out how we get how we get leaders of Peter, uh, color more resource. So, wow, why do you think that is in terms of the 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 ninety seven percent? Well, I think it be, uh, it, it, because I hate to keep saying my books, but no, uh, no, please do. But because what we write about in embrace is this idea of building a relationship with the other. Yeah, there's a stack. That 75% of, of white folks in America have no person of color in their social network. Wow. It's so like on no. Facebook, Twitter, like including that. So it's not just even face-to-face well, friends, but in no, their social network. Not, yeah, not just like that, like going out to the movies or hanging out at a ball game or any of those kinds of things. 75% of white people have... Don't do that with any person of color. Wow, those things. Yeah, and so, um, so when you when you put that together with the lack of of resource in communities of color, especially in African American, who have one eighth the wealth of their uh, of their white peers, then the numbers start to begin to make sense. That even if my auntie is giving me ten dollars. Mm-hmm a white person's auntie is going to be able to give them a lot more. Hmm. And so just on pure pure numbers and economics, you can see the discrepancy start to build. Um, and so you wind up with, you know, all this giving, which is giving is relationally connected. Most mm-hmm. people give to something they know. Yeah. Um, and personal support raising is definitely relational. It's, it's, you send a letter to your church, your auntie, or you know your family, and they help support the work you're doing. Right. And so, and a lot of nonprofits are built around around that process. Totally. So, so the discrepancy is actually relational. We don't know anybody different than us for the most part. Mm-hmm. If we don't know or have a relationship with anyone different, we're definitely not giving money to people we don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's a complicated problem that I think begins back at a simple thing of how do we begin to love people or get in relationship with people who are not like us. Yeah. And I like to say the relationship itself doesn't solve the problem. But it will, it will put you on a path towards some resolution, you know. Yeah, no, totally. Are there any practices or anything that you do as an activist that kind of help either connect you to the things that got you started on this path in the first place or that um, give you hope as you encounter difficulties or 
that feeds your joy? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think I think as an activist, I am discovering more and more people who want uh, who are interested in what how can we solve these problems? That question is coming up more. When we see injustice, I'm seeing more and more from a diverse group of people is what what can we do? How do mm. we solve Mm-hmm. And uh, going down to to the protest that we go to and help lead, uh, you know, to writing campaigns, to uh, to open letters that we decide to send, all of those things, we're beginning to see more and more people, a more and more a diverse group of people saying, "Let's do this together." Wow. We're in, and uh, that brings me a lot, a lot of hope. Um, the last protest I uh, I went to um, that uh, it was right after uh, uh, right after uh, uh, I think it was Philando, the young man that was killed in Minnesota. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, I went downtown, set up my protest and my signs outside of the Justice uh, Center, and. Uh, do you remember in Oregon there was a group uh, that was affiliated with Bundy and oh, they yes. Yes. Uh-huh. occupied a, a government reserve? Yes. Well, some of their people were down at a court case for him that same day. Uh-huh. I'm sitting outside on Black Lives Matter signs and a guy walks over and goes, What are you what are you protesting? So I told him about what happened and he hadn't heard of it, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And, uh, so he goes home and he looks up all the information, looks at the video and comes back the next day and goes, that's messed up. Police did that to you? You know, and uh-huh. like, this guy had never. <laughs> wow. I don't know where he lives, uh-huh. but uh, he lived in Southern Oregon. But, <laughs> and and he, he all of a sudden goes, we want to we want to do something. And so. In a very weird sense. Now, this group would be opposite of what a Black Lives Matter group would say. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, but they came the next day and they made me Black Lives Matter signs and they're walking saying, Black Lives Matter, you know? And it's like, <laughs> wait a second, this does not come together. It's like, it's like pro-American group of people, right? Yeah. Uh, giving out pamphlets about the Constitution and gun rights. Yeah, yeah. Holding yeah. Black Lives Matter signs. It's really wow. fun. <laughs> That's great. Well, Leroy, thank you so much for the time. Totally appreciate it. I feel like you are a wealth of wisdom. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, this is why we tell stories on this show. Because, first of all, we need to know each other's story. We need to know about how Leroy Barber grew up and what that upbringing did to him. That's why I hope that we're sharing stories with each other. We're sharing about our own life, but also it's important because every person listening to this is hearing it through their own lens. I think that's a mixed metaphor, but I am not marginalized. I am a white middle upper class American male. And so what does it mean for me when Leroy talks about looking at your social networks and not just online social networks, but looking around you and asking how many other stories do you know? 
what are we doing? Are we marching and protesting? I mean, I know he was laughing at the end about those folks from Portland that joined in on the Black Lives Matter protest, but to their credit, they did something because they heard a story that they hadn't heard before and they didn't just nod their head and go, oh, isn't that bad? Isn't that difficult? They actually got up and tried. That's what I'm gonna be thinking about this week as we move from here. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. You can connect with Leroy. He is on Twitter at Leroy Barber. You can also go and learn more about the Voices Project at voices-project.org. We would also love to chat throughout the week about what you're thinking about this show. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter. Both of them are New Activist Is, I-S. It's one word, New Activist Is. And we have a website, newactivist.is. You can, and are encouraged to, subscribe to this podcast anywhere that you listen. And if you have a moment to head over to iTunes and give us a review and stars, it is very helpful. The music for today's show was composed by Ether. You can listen to more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Ether. That's A-E-T-H-E-R. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of my colleagues at International Justice Mission, as well as Nikki Toyama Sito, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends.